be touched by you, that the words that you're bringing to us through David would uh, would really have an impact on how we are and how we think about things and, and how our life is lived. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Living in the West has its advantages, seclusion, privacy, and freedom. But if we aren't careful, those benefits can also become negatives, weapons wielded by our enemy to keep us in the dark spiritually and comfortable with our sin. In the kingdom of God, independence and self-reliance come into conflict with relying on God and being a part of the community. As we live in that Western pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps independence, we grow accustomed to making it on our own. As we live our lives each day, it is easy to become so preoccupied with the major sins of our society that we lose sight of our need to deal with our own more subtle sins. Our Western way of life is a great gift, but unless kept in check, it can become a weapon in the hand of the enemy against our spiritual life. A weapon that can lead us down a road of acceptability or respectability of our sins. May we remember that sin grieves the heart of God and lean on Him instead of ourselves as we journey through life. Being aware of our sin, repenting of it, and living for Jesus and not ourselves as we live life in the West. All right, so we're in this series called Seven Respectable Sins of the West. And I know we have some here who've not been along with us for this entire ride, so I just want to kind of review what we've been talking about here. Uh, we've been talking about the fact that sin can often just, we can often just get comfortable with it in our life. We don't even recognize that we are committing it, and, uh, and we justify our sin, and we don't work at rooting it out of our lives. So uh, the first week, we talked about the sin of busyness, uh, and we looked at Mary and Martha, and we talked about how we need to, to be sure we need to be sure that we get the the important things, the priorities right in our life, and those need to go into our life first, and then everything else will will uh, have the space that it needs. Then uh, the second week we talked about entitlement. Entitlement, man, that was a challenging one, wasn't it? How how we are all. Uh, we are all extremely entitled as we live our life. And we, we saw how these things, which kind of originally came from a list called the seven deadly sins. Um, and then we've also been reading through, many of you have been reading through a book called uh, Respectable Sins and uh, Super Challenging. But how, how these things don't literally kill us physically, but they, they kill our relationship with God. They, they kill our intimacy with God. Um, then we talked about apathy. I mean, we didn't really care about that one, but uh, we talked about apathy and, and how apathy is our refusal to take steps of change because we want things just, we don't want to experience pain in our life. So, and we kind of sometimes think that, that knowing we have a problem, you know, okay, so I know that I'm entitled and we sort of just stop there. We, we kind of think, well, that's it. 
Um, I'm better now. I know that I'm this thing, but we need to recognize that that really is apathetic when we come to that conclusion. We need to take steps. We need to take action. Um, Then three weeks ago, we addressed the sin of comparison. And then uh, Pastor Brandon on our Youth Sunday talked about how how we were created in the image of God and, and how our identity needs to come from him. And then uh, last week, we talked about uh, the sin of gossip, how we often swim in these sins for so long that we don't even recognize them anymore, that that, that, that we may have this voice, uh, the Holy Spirit in the back of our head who says, you know, what you're doing is wrong, but we, we justify it. We say, yeah, but... It's not that big a deal, Uh, and it's been super challenging. Well, today is no less challenging. Today, we are tackling anger and forgiveness, kind of both together. Uh, They're kind of one in the same, anger and unforgiveness, and I want to set this up by having us watch this video right here. You've heard the saying, he's carrying a lot of baggage from his past, or avoid her baggage. But think about it. I mean, baggage, it's, we get it from other people, the things that they do to us or say to us. And if we carry those memories around, in essence, we carry baggage. We begin collecting baggage when we're just little kids. There you are. Hey, 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 hey I need to talk to you. Yeah, what? Well, um, we were talking about building the, the tree house. Yeah, yeah. I, I love tree houses. Yeah, it's just a thing. Um, see, you can't help us build the tree house. Why? Well, you don't really want me to tell you. Yeah, I do. Okay, well, we were talking, uh-huh. um, um, the gang, we were talking, and yeah. um, well, you're too fat. What? You'll weigh down the treehouse. I'm not fat. Yes. No, no, yes. I'm not. No, no. Uh, mommy just says I'm big boned. Dinosaurs are big boned. You're fat. No, no, no. Mommy says I'm chunky. <laughs> Peanut butter's chunky. You're fat. No, no, no. no. M- mommy says that I've lost weight. I think you found it. No, no, no. Mommy says I'm just different. <laughs> Your mommy says you're just different? Yeah, I'm just different. <laughs> go back to where you came from. I gotta go. Bye. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's one of the biggest lies we teach children. Words hurt, they cut deep. And if we carry around the words of other people, essentially what we do is, we're collecting baggage. See, we can't can't find our self-worth based on what other people think of us. We have to find our self-worth based on Christ and our relationship with Him but it doesn't seem to be that easy. And as life goes on and we get older, we just tend to collect more baggage. Sometimes we pick up baggage from people who are very close to us, like a best friend. No, I, I know, I know, Shelly, I know. It's like, we talked for three hours and it seemed like five minutes. I know, I know, I know. It's like we have this amazing connection, this chemistry. Okay, I'm just gonna say this, Shelly. I've never said this to anyone in a really long time, um, but I, Shelly, I feel like you're, you're my density. I really, really do. No, you're right. You're my, you're my destiny. That's what I meant. You're my destiny, right? I'm just so false. Hey, he's right here. I gotta go. Okay, bye. Hey, buddy, what's up? How much? Who are you talking to? Um, um, talking to my mom. Your mom's your destiny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she gave birth to me and everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Kudos. Really? Yeah. Because it sounds like you said Shelly. Yeah. Um, that's her. That's her name. I thought your mom's name was Kelly. That's her middle name. 
Your mom's name's Kelly Shelley? Yeah, yeah, and she was picked on a lot when she was a kid, so I just really tried to encourage her all the time and tell her that I love her. What's wrong with that? Okay, that's okay, great thing. Uh, whatever, whatever. Did you talk to my Shelley? Yeah, I did. Um, and? She's not, she's not gonna be your Shelley. Look, we just started talking. We just, we just kind of hit it off. It just happened. I mean, what? we have this great chemistry. It just... No, 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 no. You were supposed to call her for me. I did. I started out doing that. I did. You no. gotta believe me. You're supposed to be my best friend. I, I am. Don't, don't let a girl come between us, okay? This I is not a big... You did this. Look, man, you know I've liked her since we were in kindergarten, and you were supposed to talk to her for me. Yes, but, but I've been your best friend since kindergarten, and we've always said growing up, best friends forever, right? Yeah, well, you know what? Forever just got a lot shorter. Don't do this. Don't do this. It's a you did this. You're supposed to be my best friend. And our friends, they're just trying to get through life the same way we are. And sometimes they're going to make poor choices. And we can either learn to forgive them or... Pick up more baggage. You know, the truth about baggage is we don't need other people to load it on us. We do a pretty good job of dumping baggage on ourselves when we compare ourselves to others. We think things like, oh, if I could be as popular as they are, if I could be as gifted and talented as they are, but I'm not. I'm a loser. I'm no good. And when we think that, we pick up more baggage. Or we find ourselves thinking, they have it made. And why is life so easy for them and so hard for me? I'm never gonna make it. And when we buy into that lie, more baggage. And sometimes, sometimes we pick up baggage from people who love us dearly. They just don't realize that their words cut like a knife. Son. Hey, Dad. What happened out there? Uh, um, the ball slipped. The, the lights got in my eyes. It was... The lights got in your eyes? Yeah. You know that's what costs us the game, don't you? Yeah. The ball slipped. How many times have I gotten up in the morning before 5 a.m. before I go to work to work on the stuff with you, huh? There were scouts out there. You realize that? Dad, the ball slipped. The ball slipped. It did. I mean, what, what do you want? Hey, Coach. Huh? No. <laughs> Butterfingers, yeah. <laughs> we're going to work with them. Uh-huh. All right. See you later. Are you crying? No. Well, don't. Pull it together. People are watching. I want you to grab your stuff. I'm gonna go to the car and I'll meet you there, all right? Dad, I'm just disappointed in you, all right? These were our dreams, right? Grab your stuff. And our parents, they don't mean to hurt us. It's just, they've got their own baggage. And when you don't deal with baggage, you pass it on. And for us, we have to learn to find our self-worth only in our relationship with Christ. And if we don't, we pick up more baggage. 
gets uncomfortable, tedious, and our natural tendency is to want to dump this baggage onto someone else, but it always backfires. Hey, can I ask you a question? What are you doing in my room? I just need to ask you a question. What? Can, can you give me and my friends a, a ride to school? It, it, it's cold and I don't want to ride my bike. <laughs> what? what? Are you really asking that? Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal. Just give me a ride and some of my friends to school. You need to understand something. Just because you and your loser friends are in high school now doesn't mean I'm gonna give you a ride, okay? Because look at me, you need to understand that when people look at you, they see a freak, all right? And if they know that I'm related to you, if they know we're brothers, they're gonna think I'm a freak too, okay? And I'm not okay with that. So here's the deal, I don't care how you get there, I don't care if you have to walk or crawl or whatever, but I'm not gonna be a chauffeur for you and your loser friends, okay? It's not my fault that dad left. Why do you keep taking out on me? Whatever. No, you know I'm right. Okay, I'm sorry. You're not sorry, you're only sorry that I'm calling you out. I'll just ride my bike. I said I was sorry. I'll ride my bike. Come on. And in the process of trying to dump our baggage on someone else, Inevitably what happens is we pick up more baggage. And then there's that one. My sin. My secret sin. It's um it's cool. I mean, uh I've got it under control. Who am I kidding? Most of the time it has control of me. And this is the way I live. And yet, I hear the words of Christ who says, I've come that you may have life and may have it abundantly. I don't know about you, but th this doesn't really feel like abundant life to me. I, I, I can't walk straight. I can barely keep my balance. And then, and then I remember his words. Because Christ also said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what I want. That's what I want. So I go to God. God, please, if you're willing, would you take this baggage from me? Because God, I'm miserable and I can't live this way anymore. Please take it. And you know what? It takes it. Right? I mean, it weighs us down. It's heavy. It's heavy. But we convince ourselves that it's our right to hang on to that. We convince ourselves that somehow um, it's, it's good for us or, or we get so used to it that we don't want to let it go or, or we feel like it's our right to hold that thing, whatever it might be, against someone else, that it somehow doesn't affect us 
in a negative way. And almost always, unforgiveness lives in our life in, the ver- in a version of anger. Uh, and anger causes hurt. And hurt people hurt people. And, and this anger is rooted in a wrath that we feel towards other people when we do not forgive them. Because it's my right to hold this against them. So, so I want you to begin thinking, if you haven't already, uh, as we've started here, of people who have wronged you. Maybe last week, maybe this morning, maybe last month, maybe 25 years ago. I, I want you to think of people who have wronged you. And, and these are the people that you, and, and I know probably the majority of people watching and, and in here this morning are, are believers. I know that you walk with Jesus. But these are the people that you fantasize about getting revenge against. People who you have worked in your mind of a way to sort of even up the odds to even the score. You think about getting back at them. Maybe it was a business deal gone wrong, or maybe it was a betrayal of the deepest and most hurtful kind. Maybe it was a parent or a family member that wronged you, or maybe someone said something about you. And when you think about that, you get red in the face and you just wish there was some way that you could impose on them the pain that they imposed on you. And then you realize, oh, I'm carrying this weight with me. I mean, all of us this morning have some sort of baggage that we're carrying around with us. And, and it's, it's been well said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. But it turns out, when you look at medical research of today, it really is like drinking poison. In, in fact, um, this is what EverydayHealth.com says happens when you stay angry. This is a list that they have. It says this, anger can cause damage to your heart. Anger increases your risk of stroke. Anger weakens your immune system. Anger increases anxiety and stress. Anger is linked to depression. It literally damages your lungs and respiratory health. People who are habitually angry are sick more often. Anger shortens our life. And I want to compare that list with a list from the Mayo Clinic put together on the benefits of what God, through Jesus Christ, calls us to, the benefits of forgiveness. A list from Mayo Clinic. It says those who have forgiven have improved health and peace of mind, healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, and improved heart health, improved self-esteem. Who would know that the creator of the universe knows exactly how anger and unforgiveness would would, uh, manifest itself and what it would do in our life and says that those are things that you need to get rid of? Sometimes we think that anger is a tool, it's a method to display our strength or uh, or that somehow there's, that we're given this permission to be angry, this permission to not forgive because they hurt me so bad. 
And what's interesting about these sins is they are sins that we live with, sins that we say to ourselves, it's just who I am. It's just hard for me to forgive. We give ourselves over to anger a lot, don't we? Have, have you ever been to a high school basketball game or, or any sporting event for that matter? Um, have you ever observed what happens when a referee or an umpire makes an incorrect call? I know that's hard to believe because they're perfect in all that they do. Um, they get everything right, but, but they do make a mistake because we think that we're somehow entitled to them not making a mistake, especially in regards to our team, right? Think about it. Put yourself in that situation because we excuse our anger in those moments. And, and that's just a simple example and illustration of many, many, many other things in our own lives. Uh, we think that um, we are entitled to that, and, and this is Christian and non-Christian alike. We get red in the face and we yell things out loud at the referees, right? I, I, I went to a, a cowgirls basketball game with my son the afternoon after I gave a similar illustration in church and found myself excusing, not obscenities, but certainly yelling at the refs, excusing myself because it was a college game. I mean, who's it hurting, really? Right? That went through my mind as I was being convicted over my behavior at this basketball game. We yell things like, the ref beats his wife, or ref, you suck, or obscenity-laced phrases. And because everybody knows that the ref screwed up, and it's our right that he didn't, we then excuse our anger in that moment. We just give our, ourselves permission to get angry. But you see, it's not a tool. And, and it's not something that we should get used to or something that we should want in our life. Uh, let's turn to our passage this morning. It's Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, grab one from underneath the seat. It's the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 18. And, and for those of you who recall Matthew 18, it's familiar because it's uh, in this passage we find church discipline. It's the church discipline chapter. Um, it's how we treat someone in sin, and it instructs us to go directly to that person, right? Not behind their back, as we talked about last week, but to go directly to that person. And if they don't listen, then we take someone with us. And if they don't listen, yet again, we bring it to the church and the church begins to help that person understand the truth of the gospel. We assume that they are not walking with Jesus in that moment. Then Peter asks this question. Well, how many times are we supposed to forgive? And Jesus answers, and then he goes into a parable. A parable is a story that's told that Jesus tells to illustrate a truth, something that he's trying to teach. And he is a master, master teacher. So in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, he says up to seven times because it was rabbinic tradition that you would forgive someone three times. I mean, the first time, shame on you. The second time, shame on me. Third time, well, I, I don't know what 
all the shames are, but um, basically three strikes, you're out. So Peter takes that three, he doubles it, and then adds one for good measure, thinking that he's being a righteous man, right? I mean, I'm way overdoing forgiveness here. Seven times. Can you believe it? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Some of your translations uh, say 70 times seven. And, and the reason for that is there's disagreement between the Hebrew and the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament translation. And the difference stems from uh, Genesis chapter four, where Lamech is talking about Cain and how Cain was forgiven, uh, avenged against what he's, uh, what he's done. What's important here. For, for us this morning is the reason for the illustration. Jesus is not prescribing a number. Jesus is not saying, well, you say seven. No, it's, it's 77. So you forgive someone 77 times, then 78, it's, well, sorry, no. Or he's not saying 490 times. He's saying um, this in exaggeration to, to say we are to forgive a countless number of times. Not seven times, Peter. Not just what they taught you times two plus one. But we are to continually forgive. And then Jesus tells this story. And, and what is brilliant is that he doesn't describe to us how to forgive. Jesus doesn't say, okay, you're having trouble forgiving. This is how you do it. Or, or this is how you are to forgive. What he describes is why we are to forgive. And then the how takes care of itself. Jesus is a brilliant teacher. Verse 43, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, so there's this king, he has some servants, and, and these servants owe him some money. In fact, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. And since this man was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Wow. Right? Um, that's pretty harsh. Um, sell your family and your kids and we'll see where this turns out and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on from there. But what we don't really understand unless we parse it out a little bit is how much was really owed here. So 10,000 talents is the amount that he owes. It's the equivalent of 150,000 years worth of wages. Okay? So if we're talking about an annual salary of $30,000, that's $4,500,000,000 that he owes. Okay, if, if we're talking about an annual salary of $60,000, this servant owes his master $9 billion. That's an impossible amount which is why Jesus uses that in his story. This is a debt so big that he will never, ever, ever be able to pay it. Ever. In this parable, the king or the master represents God. 
The servant is us. And the loss of his family is the loss of everything that we love. And the debt is our sin. This is the story that Jesus is telling. So verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything right. Nine billion dollars and you're going to pay it back. Impossible. And the masters and the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. What? Now, I'm not sure if you're tracking with me because I didn't see one single jaw drop in this room when I said that. Right? He, oh, oh, you owe me $9 billion. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take your wife and I'm going to take your kids and I'm going to sell it all to, to help repay this debt. Everything that matters to you, we're going to sell it all. But, but, but sir, please, please forgive me. Okay. Right? Oh, you're sorry? Oh, okay. You're fine. Well, see you when I see you. That's incredible. You see, our first point this morning is that God's anger toward you was satisfied. God's anger toward you was satisfied. The debt was canceled. Every debt against God hindered our relationship with him. Every single thing that we've ever done, every word we've spoken or thought that we have had that was not glorifying to him put baggage between us and him. Every single thing that we've done that was not done in faith is sin. Jerry Bridges describes it as ungodliness. And as we have found, at least in my small group, as we have struggled and wrestled through his book, we are way more ungodly than we thought we were. That's what Romans 14 tells us. Anything not done in faith is sin, and it puts weight on us. Baggage. Our sin against God is so much more than $9 billion. It's, it's more than we can imagine. Our sin is against the holy God. We will sin, uh, I heard a pastor say this last week, we will sin more against God today than any single person will sin against us in our entire lifetime. Think about that. Now, I know you're already arguing with this pastor in your mind, thinking that that's just, there's just no way. And here's the thing. Who the sin is against matters. Who the sin is against matters. David, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, what did he say to God? I have sinned against you alone, Lord. I have sinned. Our sins, every sin that we commit is against a holy God. And who it's against matters. So one day a father and his daughter were driving down the road and, and she asked her dad, Dad, is it illegal for someone to walk on our property, to walk on our lawn? 
Uh, he said, yes, yes, that would be trespassing. And she said, so if somebody walks on our yard, they go to prison? And he, and he says, well, um, probably not. Uh, probably not going to send them to prison. If they walk on our yard, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll go ask them what they're doing, maybe invite them in for dinner. I, I don't know what we're going to do, but, but I think we're going to, I don't think we're going to call the police immediately if somebody walks on our yard. And she said, okay, and she's just kind of wrestling with it. So, so nobody who walks on someone else's yard goes to prison? And he said, uh, well, it depends on whose yard you're walking on, right? If you climb the fence of the White House and run towards the door, they're going to shoot first and ask questions later. It matters who we sin against. You lie to me, it's going to hurt, and I may express to you that, that you hurt me by lying. You lie in a court of law, you could go to jail probably for up to five years. You see, our sin is against a holy, perfect, almighty, sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, powerful God. Our sin is against him. And our sin is bigger than we can imagine. And it costs us more than we can pay. You, you see, we can't, we can't cover that debt. We can't cover that bill. And, and if, we, if we don't think that we're that big of sinners, then why did God send his son to die on our behalf? Why would God, I, I have a son. I showed you a picture of him last week. I love my son. I love my children. I would do anything for my children. And you know, last week I said, I like you guys. I, I love you guys. Um, but, but I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not willing to sacrifice my son on your behalf. I, I, I'm just that selfish, I guess. But the reality is, God sent his son to die for us. And the reality is, God despises our sin. And the reality is, God sent his son to die on behalf to pay the debt that was caused by something that we do that he hates. I mean, somehow in God's crazy, incomprehensible act of mercy, Thank you, Jesus, right? I mean, what an incredible act of love and mercy and grace. All of his anger and all of his wrath at our sin was targeted to his son. And he crushed him. He was crushed for our transgressions. That's what the prophet Isaiah writes in 53.10. God was, in fact, pleased to crush him. Wait, what? Uh, why would God be pleased to crush his son? Because it allows him to forgive us. See, God's just. He can't just make sin disappear. There has to be payment for it. And Jesus was that 
payment. Our sins against our holy God is greater than we can ever imagine, and his grace overwhelms the situation. His forgiveness is even greater than our sin. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Funny thing this week, I've been looking at the globe. Um, My son uh, flew to Turkey a a few days ago, and, and we had this conversation about great circles. And, you know, you look on a map, I, I look at the map, and I look at his plane, and it, his plane, like, goes up, and it goes up, and over the top of the bottom of Greenland, and then on down over England, and then eventually to Germany, and then he got on another plane. And we were having this conversation about how, how do the great circles work? I mean, I should know, right? I fly, and, and I should know this, but, and, and what I first thought, I was really smart, I wasn't. I didn't know what I was talking about, actually. Um, but but the, the weird thing is, um, when, when you flatten a globe out, that's what happens. It does this. If you look at that on a, on a globe, it's a straight line. It actually is a straight line. Because what you think, well, they go, they go around here because it's shorter. No, it's not. <laughs> this is the shortest path. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. I... But if you go north to south, there's a point going north where you begin going south again. But if you go east to west, you can go east all day long. You can go east your entire life and never cross over to west. That's what Jesus is talking. That's what the psalmist is talking about here. As far as the east is from the west, God just forgets them. God forgets them. East to west is an immeasurable length, and that's what he's done with our sin. He wipes away our debt. In fact, it pleases him to. He delights in it. Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. What a great God we have. Matthew 18, 28. So the servant gets his entire debt canceled, right? Crazy, crazy that, that the master did that. Verse 28, but, but when the servant went out, so the servant now leaves the master who has forgiven him $9 billion and he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So not 150,000 years worth of wages. A hundred denarii is equivalent to a hundred days of wages. A hundred days can be paid off. And what does he do to this servant? He grabs him and he begins to choke him. And he says, pay back what you owe me. He demanded his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, so the other servants observe all of this taking place, that this man has been forgiven, that he goes and finds this other servant that owed him, you know, like some dollars out of his pocket, and he chokes him. He won't forgive him. He won't even give him time to pay it back. And he throws him into prison. And when they see this, they're confused. Understandably, right? I mean, we all should be. He, you just had $9 billion forgiven because you asked for it to be forgiven. And you can't even just give time For this other servant, he has him thrown in prison. When the servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and told their master everything that happened. A hundred days wages, not 150,000 years worth of wages. And he grabs him by the throat and he chokes him. And he throws him into prison. And as an observer, that would confuse me. Wait, wait, hold on. I I thought you were the one that was forgiven much. And you can't forgive a little bit? You see, the second point here this morning is that forgiven people are forgiving people. It would seem that we forget this, doesn't it? Forgiven people are forgiving people. God has done great things for us, and when we can't forgive, we in that moment have lost sight of the incredible grace that we have received from God. It is sight now. It's, it's, God has taken our sin, and he has not given us what we deserve. but he is giving us infinitely more than we could ever deserve. And and that is what we represent in the world that we live in. Someone who has been forgiven much, living in the world. It's it's crazy out there. I mean, I... So, I mean, I know it's hard for you to tell, but I do kind of, my mind does live in the sports world quite a bit. Um, I was just reading a few articles this morning, and uh, one, one was uh, talking about a penalty that was committed against Cadbury last night, and, and I was reading the comments under that, and I just, um, I, I, another, another person talked about their son who was playing on a, like a junior league, I'm thinking elementary age hockey, and had a girl on his team, and, and one of the guys uh, was making fun of this girl at a face-off, and the kid just punched him in the mouth for doing it. And basically, the conclusion of everyone was good for him. That is completely acceptable. I would expect no less. And I'm, I just, I wanted to comment, so two wrongs make a right? I mean, that's, living in this, I look at, I look at that, and, and of course, my carnal self would say, and I said it to one of my children one time, my daughter's cousin, 
He was a boy. He was constantly just poking her, poking her, poking her. I said, Cassandra, she's five. I said, punch him in the mouth. <laughs> oh, no, I couldn't do that. And she didn't. Now, if she had, it probably would have stopped that. But would that have been the right thing to do? Absolutely not. That's my human self. That's my sinful self. That's my not recognizing how much I've been forgiven self. What I should have said was, we need to pray for him. Uh, we need to participate in helping him succeed because if he continues this behavior through the rest of his life, it's, it's not going to go well for him. But oh no, I'm thinking payback. And that's, that's where we go. But, but we, can't, we can't go there. We need to forgive. Now, it's scientifically and biologically, I believe, impossible for us to forget something. Right? You hear people say, well, you just got to forgive and forget. Well, uh-uh. I can't forget. God can. East is from the West. I can't. So let me just quickly give you a few things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not letting someone continue to hurt you. Um, forgiveness uh, does not mean restoring the relationship to what it was. Now, if there's repentance, uh, relationship can be built back up. And, and we need to go through the work to restore that relationship. But it doesn't, if that other person isn't willing to do that. I mean, that's what we see in the scriptures. Matthew 18 even gives us that process. But, but, but if there's not repentance there, you say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to act out of revenge that I feel towards you. And, and forgiveness does not mean that there's no consequences. Okay? That's true in the case of, of our sin, right? Jesus paid the consequence for our sin with his life. He took on the sin of the world. There was pain. There was agony. There was serious consequence. Forgiveness means we forfeit our right to carry bitterness with us throughout the rest of our life. That's what forgiveness is. And forgiveness impacts us much more than, impact, than it impacts them. It is for our benefit even more than it is for them. It benefits both. But ultimately, forgiveness is not flippantly blowing off the wrong. It, forgiveness, is, forgiveness is this, if there's any mystery or confusion. It's taking a real and true account of what somebody did to us. So what, so what that transgression has cost you, hurt, pain, discouragement, you know, what, whatever, and it's forfeiting your right to hold that thing against that person. It's letting it go. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus Christ is called our mediator. He is the go-between. He came in and he paid for the damage that we caused. And as we look at how he's paid 
undeservingly for the damage that we have caused, it allows us the grace then that we have received to be able to extend that to someone else. And, and we have to soak in this every day or, or it won't happen. The enemy is working overtime. He wants you to hold a grudge. He wants you to carry that baggage in your life. He wants you to justify it. He wants you to say, oh, I could never forgive him for that. Because what that does is it keeps it on you. You, You're not letting it go. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The more and more and more we're grateful, truly grateful for God's forgiveness to us, we then are able to extend that to other people that hurt us. So so let's go back to the story. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That is God's word. He says, I'm going to send you to the jailers to be tortured. The Greek is literal. Give him to the torturers. Doesn't that sound like fun? Doesn't that sound like a way to pay off a debt? Let's lock him up. I, I think that is, I think, I think he's talking about hell, right? If, if we're not forgiven and, and we go to hell because we die without Jesus Christ, that is going to be, and there's no way that we can, that we will ever pay that debt off. But you see, the only person who doesn't go to hell is the one person whose sins have been paid for. God set down the payment. God took care of that. And and we then pick it up. Uh, we, We were at a restaurant one time a while back, and there was somebody else from the church there, and and when you know they finished and they left, and when we asked the the waitress for our check, which is weird, we call it a check, um, for our bill, she said, oh, it's been taken care of. That other family paid, paid for your meal. So we have an option there, right? We can, we can accept that gift, or I can say, oh, no, 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 no. I don't care what they did. I'm going to pay for it myself. Right? It, that's what happens. Jesus paid the price. He lays it down there. We need to receive it. We need to accept that gift. And it covers our debt. So so this is why our anger and our unforgiveness is so confusing to other people. Because we have been forgiven much. We say that we're forgiven, but we don't act like forgiven people. 
We want to choke someone out of revenge. We want them to suffer for the same things that they've instilled on us, and it confuses a watching world. It, it belittles the gospel. And then we get to verse 35, and I have always struggled with this verse. I already read it. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Wait, what? Does it really say that? Does it really mean that? Does it really mean how it sounds? Right? Uh, there was a pastor I heard say this. He said, hey, you know, this is a confusing text. He's certainly not saying that if we can't forgive others that we're not forgiven. We, he says, we should always take confusing texts and explain them with other texts in the Bible. We should bring in other texts. So let me bring in some other texts. Okay? Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your, forgot, your Father will not forgive your sins. Mark eleven twenty five. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then finally, Luke 6.35-37, through 37, Jesus says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked." Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, I'm not saying forgive so that you can be saved. This is not about salvation. I am saying that those who rightfully understand the forgiveness that they have received are, as a result, able to forgive others. So it's not a how-to, it's a why we can. And we got to get that first part right. we got to understand that. It's clearly taught in Scripture. How do we forgive them? We look deeply into how we've been forgiven. And we soak in it every day. And we wrestle through to do that thing, to take that step to forgive that other person. Our forgiveness of others is evidence of a right understanding of God's forgiveness of us. God's anger toward you was satisfied. Forgiven people are forgiving people. And number three, your forgiveness demonstrates God's forgiveness. It's quite possibly the greatest apologetic that we have when to share the gospel with other people is living a life that is forgiving towards other people. Uh, to start with, all that we've been forgiven for. We, look, we need to surrender our self-righteousness. That's what happens when we make comments like, he deserved it. Somebody dies, good riddance. See, that all comes from self-righteousness and and pride. It's, 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 it's not going to get us to heaven. We, we have to turn the tables on our hypocrisy because it confuses people. 
As children of God, we are free to walk in the light. We are free to be known by God. We are free to walk without shame in our life. We are free. We we know that our sin has been paid for. This is powerful stuff. We need to let go of the baggage. We need to surrender it to our Lord and Savior, our Master, Jesus Christ. Because if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been forgiven. Your debt, that $9 billion or $10 trillion, or for me it could be a million dollars. Ain't no way in my lifetime I'm going to be able to pay that off. It's been, it's, it's been wiped away. It it was placed on the shoulders of Jesus Christ who died for me. God's anger against our sin was satisfied on Jesus. And as forgiven people, we can be forgiving people. Some of you here this morning, you're, you're carrying huge suitcases. I mean, when I when I dug these things, I didn't realize this was so big. This is not mine. It's my wife's. <laughs> I was just telling somebody this morning, this is the one that I carry around with me. This is the one I take on trips all the time now. Because you can put this in the overhead rack. I ain't paying for a bag. I mean, if I'm going for a week, I'll take clothes I can wash while I'm there, or I'll just wear them all week. <laughs> or I'll put some of my stuff in this one. <laughs> It's truth. Truth. We'll, we'll pay for one bag. I, these haven't seen the light of day. I mean, they're still kind of dusty. I didn't bring the pink ones. We, we got we to gotta give up the baggage. Because it's, it's literally killing us. If you have unforgiveness in your heart against someone... It's got to go. It's got to go. You carrying that around is not hurting that other person one bit. You forgiving them may not affect them one bit. It's your heart that's infected. God's anger against us was satisfied on Jesus. Don't scoff in your heart that you can't forgive. Uh, Because really what it boils down to, I think, is you don't want to give up your anger. You don't want to give up that, what you feel like is something that you hold over their head. Again, it's not affecting them. Now, as we move to the communion table this morning, to focus on the physical events that took place in history, Come on up, Bob. Real history happened that paid the debt for our sin. And and as we think about this, there's this event in John chapter 8 where a woman is caught in adultery. And it was the law then that if a woman was caught in adultery, you uh, you could bring her...
you would bring her before this circle of people. I don't know who it had to be, but everybody would bring stones to the party. And they would just start throwing them at her. Repeatedly. Until she couldn't stand anymore. Until she couldn't lift her head anymore. Until she couldn't breathe anymore. I mean, that, that's what would happen. That was commonplace. So they bring this woman before Jesus and they say, Rabbi, we're going to do what Moses told us to do. We're going to deal with this right here and right now. And, and Jesus is sitting there and it says that he's drawing in the sand with his finger. I wonder what he was drawing. I'd be drawing stick figures, I suppose. But they're like, okay, we're going to do it. And Jesus says, okay, okay, fine. But the one who goes first is the one who hasn't sinned among you. That, that guy goes first. Go ahead, you start us off. Get, get it going. Whichever one of you hasn't done anything wrong, why don't you take the lead? This is how it actually reads. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Interesting, the older ones first. The older ones were first to realize that they had sin in their life. The younger ones, they were still kind of justifying their righteousness. Until Jesus was the only one left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and live and leave your life of sin. That's our application. Jesus paid the debt. His body was broken. That's what this bread represents. Eat, remember, this represents my body broken for you. He shed his blood. Jesus took the cup and he said, this represents the blood that I'm going to shed for you. And he shed it all. All to pay the price of our sin. And as we partake of this this morning, Let's remember, let's celebrate what a gift it is that our debt has been canceled. Lord Jesus, thank you for the challenge of your word this morning. I pray I, for some of us, Father, it, it, we need your Holy Spirit to give us the strength and, and willingness to, to let go of the anger and the unforgiveness that we're holding on to. But Lord Jesus, I pray that as we leave here today that you would not let any one of us just ignore it. Help us to understand how much we've been forgiven and how much you love us. And Lord Jesus, as we celebrate this by partaking of the bread and drinking of the cup this morning, help us to remember the significance of the pain that you endured on our behalf. Help us to worship you this morning. Help us to honor your name. In Jesus' name, amen. The servers are going to pass the bread down the row and then the cup, take one of each. And as the uh, worship team plays through the song, just, uh, just partake when you're ready and then we'll close with, with the song.